Episode 144, Steve Gamlin, Humor Punch-Up Specialist. What's that? Stay tuned to find out. My favorite mistake, actually the radio career was the opening act to my favorite mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Steve Gamlin and all the different things that he has done and is doing, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake144. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Steve Gamlin. He describes himself as, and I'm sure this is accurate, so he uh, is a speaker, an author, a vision boarder, and we'll, I'll have to ask and get clarification on what this means, a humor punch-up specialist. So um, before I introduce Steve a little bit more, uh, Steve, thanks for being here today. How's it going? Well, great, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here and uh, look forward to uh, sharing some cool energy with your listeners. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, so what does Steve Gamblin do? He teaches individuals and organizations how to see their goals, to understand why they want them, and to build an action plan for achievement. And how does Steve do this? It's a blend of back-to-basics positivity, engagement, humor, and visualization. So some of our uh, a lot of our audience will be just listening, so I guess they'll have to imagine the visualization, and they have to imagine me saying that word correctly the first time, which I did not really do. Um, so, Steve, thank you for being here. I'm sure the humor is going to come through, regardless of whether people are watching or listening. Always, and that, that's such an important part of everyday life. Like you said, the back-to-basic stuff, and you can weave a little humor in there, you're going to be okay. And and that's how we, you and I, get memorable. And that's a great way to drive the lessons home. Yeah. Thank you for that. And um, you can learn more about Steve's work at stevegamlin.com. He's the author of four books, including, here's a fun title for you, Table 7, Your Centerpiece is on Fire. So before we get into the core question and and talking about mistakes, like what, in a nutshell, what's the story behind that book title? That's actually uh, three. My other three books are all personal development. That one goes to my DJ business, which I've owned for about almost 28 years. About a decade in, I had this arsenal of stories of the weirdest things that had happened to me. And I used to tell the stories to nervous brides over the phone and they'd be all worried. I'd say, well, kick back. Let me tell you what I've survived so far. And all of a sudden, like these moments we get, three brides in one week said, oh my gosh, you should write those down and make a book. And within a year, it was done. And yeah, Table 7, Your Centerpiece is on Fire, which is actually a true story. That yeah. did happen very early in my career. But uh, it was once described as by a reviewer as required reading for nervous brides. So it's it's still kicking around out there somewhere, but it was a joy to write and uh, usually a joy to live the stories uh, as long as they all ended happily. Well, it sounds like it would be fun uh, to read. And you mentioned the DJ DJ business, the wedding DJ business. Part of your professional background was time on the radio as a DJ, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, from 1992 to 2002, I worked uh, 15 years worth of hours in 10 in the radio industry and fried myself out. <laughs> wow. So that's probably a different episode and, and different mistakes and experiences there. But or maybe oh, that is going to be your favorite mistake. I don't know. But um, did, did you have a, a particular radio voice? Is that something I like, flip that on or you, you, you sound the way you sound now? Actually, it's funny because people now say, oh, I, I really enjoy your voice. You have a good radio voice. And I always say the same thing. It's a dang shame I didn't have it at the time. <laughs> I was a, a, a rock radio morning show producer for most of those years. So I was in the studio, but I was not necessarily on air, mostly because I just didn't have the confidence mm -hmm. to get behind a mic. And, and out of necess sheer necessity near the end of my career, our morning guy quit and the owner of the station was going to put it back on satellite. And I said, guys, I've been in the radio industry for eight years. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know I'd never been on the air. And I was terrible, but they allowed it. And I kind of got a little more confident and grew into it. And then that led to everything I'm doing. All right. Now, but yeah, this, this is not the voice I had back then. No, not even close. Just a matter of age and accumulated experience. The voice is better now. Yeah. And I think just being comfortable in your own skin. And, yeah. and the turning point for me came right at the very end of my career. I was trying to sound like a DJ. And then one day I was so flustered. I said, Hey, look, this is Steve big 101.5 New Hampshire's classic rock. Look, I may stink as a DJ, but if you tolerate me reading the weather for the next 42 seconds, I promise to play you a great song. And my boss came downstairs and he goes, why can't you just do that every time? He goes, that was the best thing you've ever said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's really where it started. The authenticity yeah. just fell out. There you go. There you go. So there's there's kind of a precursor mistake uh, that that you might have made when you were first. It sounds like one mistake was not being confident and, and then learning how to get past that and then trying to be, quote unquote, radio voice instead of being yourself. Exactly. I mean, if, if we just all understood that we all have gifts, we all have a style, we all have this, this certain thing that makes us attractive. And I mean that in an energy way. I think more of us would start to start, stop trying to fit into the mold of what we think something is supposed to be like. And I'm, and, and for those who are just listening right now, I'm throwing the air quotes madly here, what we think we're supposed to look and sound like. And, and the authenticity is really the seed where everything I'm doing now started just in that moment of not knowing what to say. I was just myself. Well, that's great. So we, we get a couple of bonus mistakes there, if you will. Um, <laughs> precursor to, uh, we'll find out what the story is. As, as we ask guests here, sometimes I get to it right away and sometimes I ramble around into it. I'm going to hit you with the main question here, Steve. Looking back at your career and the different things you've done, what's your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake, actually, the radio career was the opening act to my favorite mistake. Uh, after working 15 years worth of hours in 10 and DJing weddings pretty much every weekend and being absolutely fried mentally, physically, emotionally, just everything. My first marriage was crumbling right around the same time. Mm -hmm. And I made this very rash, very abrupt decision to walk away from my radio career without a full-time job. Mm. So I took at the time about a $36,000 a year pay cut all at once, went through a divorce, uh, discovered as I was going through and putting our paperwork together that I was $62,000 in debt 
at age 35 without a full-time job. So in a very short window of time, I blew my entire life off the face of the planet as I knew it. And I just right into the ashes. And that's what frustration will do to you is just cause you to slam on the brakes. I mean, I, I tell people, I said, look, man, I pulled an Acme rocket roller skate, Wiley Coyote <laughs> ride dating myself there with that reference right off the cliff and blew my life into a million pieces. But of course, within a couple of years, looking back, still saw it as a mistake. I still see it now, even nearly 20 years removed as a mistake, but it also planted the seeds for the greatest comeback in, in the most amazing life I could have even imagined. But in a lot of ways, I still look at the scars of it and say, yeah, that was, that was a big mistake. Well, so there are different types of favorite mistakes on this show. You know, there are the mistakes that turn out not to be a mistake. There are the mistakes that in some way lead to more positive things to come. Um, maybe, you know, before we talk about the things that you've been doing since, you know, I'd be curious to go back and, you know, explore a little bit. Like what, what was, was that moment of quitting? Was it, it sounds like it was building up. I'm curious what led to that buildup? What was that frustration that you mentioned? Biggest frustration was there were three radio stations within the same building and I'm not a confrontational person. You know, I, I disagreed. Uh, one of the other guys who'd been there for a long time was a local legend. He and I butted heads over so many things and we're both very territorial about our stations. And I continuously caught this person kind of behind the scenes, bad mouthing us and just, mm -hmm this negativity and I, I don't do well with negativity and it festers and it gets really, really bad. And I was stressed out to the max, exhausted, not eating well, not sleeping well. My cholesterol, I went to a health fair one time and uh, I got the high score of the day on the cholesterol machine. Oh, no. <laughs> it was almost a perfect bowling score. And wow. uh, they said, look, you're in your mid thirties. You're going to be dead by 40. If you keep this up in lack of communication at home, and the radio station was also an hour and 10 minutes from home. So two nights a week, I would sleep up there on my boss's couch. So my marriage was suffering. We were struggling to communicate and, and feelings were getting hurt on all sides. And I finally right. just said, look, I'm just going to pull the pin on this grenade and blow it all up. And it took a lot more with it than I originally planned. Yeah. But uh, the way I put it this way, the way I went about it, I still see the approach as a mistake. I guess not figuring out how to grin and bear it long enough to have that next thing lined up. Oh, you mean like a plan? Yeah. A, 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 <laughs> a plan. Yeah. What I now refer to as oh yeah, a plan would have been, it would have been very helpful, but I am very, very, and I can't say enough varies. And I'm saying this in a bold font, like a Gaudi stout blessed with the family and friends that I have who were the safety net when I could have disintegrated even farther and had a very not happy ending. Yeah. Um, very, very blessed to yeah. uh, that. I landed in a safe, warm place with really good food and a full fridge. Yeah. So I guess the last question before talking more about what happened as, as you, um, you know, got things onto a really good track was, was there a particular moment where it hit you like, okay, nope, that's it. I got to get out of here. Was, was there a particular thing or it's just that, that building hit a point where just in general, you said, okay, that's, that's all I can do. 
I think that it's kind of like a steam pressure gauge. I think the needle finally just hit whatever got dumped on top of the pile this one week. Somebody said something wrong, or I heard something about this other person I was butting heads with, or I was just, I couldn't sleep. I was exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. And I, I was driving 36,000 miles a year at that point too. And I used to fall asleep driving in the middle of the afternoon or night. And, and I've, I've gotten one wheel off the highway at 65 miles an hour. And I think all of a sudden I just said, I- I'm done. and just slammed on the brakes of, of everything. Cause you are on air at six, I'm guessing with most morning shows or. Um, yeah, usually by six. Uh, and I lived, like I said, a little over an hour from the radio station. So the nights I slept at home, I was up at three quarter past three in the morning, quick shower, start driving. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And then do the radio show and then do my regular job of production director and copywriter for the rest of the day. Right. And then drive home or stay up there and crash on my boss's couch. And the nights I stayed up there, I would work until eight or nine at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just yeah. sheer exhaustion. I mean, five hour energy hadn't been invented yet, but I had, <laughs> if you own stock in Mountain Dew back then, you're welcome for the dividends. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, that's one thing, um, you know, it seems like people who do morning television or morning radio do quite often uh, burn out on it. So I, I grew up around Detroit and right after college, uh, the top show in Detroit you may have heard of was the Drew and Mike show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Drew Lane, who I would love to have as a guest on this podcast someday, he's now doing a podcast. The, mm-hmm. They they got fired from WRIF maybe seven or eight years ago and, and replaced. But there have been a couple of points where because they were doing the morning um, show, you know, his uh, his wife had been sick and like he there were times where he just had to take a long hiatus of like a year or eighteen months. And then when he finally uh, he did come back to radio, he came back in the afternoon because I'm sure that mm. was just more compatible with life. So when you yeah. think of, you know, hey, hey, funny guy, entertain me at 6.02 in the morning with the traffic and the weather. <laughs> like people don't often think of like, OK, well, gosh, that, that person was up at 3.30 or, or what have you. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. People think we just, you know, flip a switch and we're on. Oh, for every minute you hear, there's an hour of our lives that goes into mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it is. It's a grind. It really is. So um, the things that you're doing now, and, and I know there'll, there'll be some pieces to fill in along the way, but uh, a couple of questions. So the book title, that one book title especially drew me in. The name of your company piqued my interest. So I'm going to ask you this name, Motivational Firewood. What's the uh, the meaning behind that? What's the origin of that name? When I first started as a speaker, I went to a, a meeting of the National Speakers Association here in New England. They meet just south of Boston. So I drove all the way down there and somebody says, well, you got to be in the NSA, national speaker. So I drove down and it was my first meeting. So I knew nothing and nobody knew me. So I had one of those blue name badges that basically say, hey, look at me. I am clueless. I'm new. And uh, this gentleman came over and he says, oh, hi, uh, Steve. Yeah, my name is Don. What brings you here today? I said, well, I want to be a motivational speaker. And he started asking me questions. What do you speak on? What sets you apart? And I said, I want to help people. And he said, you're not helping yourself right now. Let's talk about what makes you different and unique. Mm-hmm. And he was so patient and he was so kind and generous with his time. We had about maybe a five minute conversation and he kept asking questions. And finally I said, look, Don, if people come to hear me speak, then they obviously have a spark of something they want to do in their lives or make better or a goal. 
So if I share a story or an example or a lesson or something that inspires them to go for it, it's like I've provided them with motivational firewood for their spark. And he says, okay, mm-hmm. one more question. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about trademarks? I said, <laughs> well, I'm more clueless about trademarks than I was about motivational speaking five <laughs> minutes ago. He said, look it up because I love the premise. I love the way you just described it. And he says, what I love most was the look of joy on your face when you just gave me that answer. He goes, you're onto something. Mm-hmm. Keep Stay with it. Stay with it. And I did. I've, I've owned motivational firewood trademark ever since. And so is there motivational kindling that goes along with, with that spark as well? <laughs> the I'm little tiny asking. pieces are maybe kindling. Yeah. 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 But there's, yeah. you know, it's, it's daily messages and social media positivity. It's, it's appearances on great shows like yours and just being able to share um, back to basics, positivity with humor anywhere I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you do the speaking and then um, yeah, the idea of vision boards, that's something I've, um, heard more about in the last year. I've got a, a friend and a colleague who does work that may be similar, or at least it uses that that same phrase. What what is a vision board? How is that um, used in in different ways? The way I describe it is a vision board is a wall mounted GPS for the rest of your life. It's it's understanding where you are right now, and then figuring out in nine major areas of your life. It includes your career, your finances, your relationships, your connection your physical health, your emotional well-being, your spirituality, your ethics, morals, and integrity, and all these things working together at all times to describe where you want your life to be, say, I I always start a year from now. Mm -hmm. Don't give me that I'm going to be a billionaire in 20 years, but I have no clue how to start because you're not going to get going for long. So what I encourage people to do is, is wonder, what do my goals look like, which I follow up with, feel like, sound like, even smell like? to try to get a sensory connection to where they want to be. And the most important thing you can understand is why you want that as deeply rooted a reason as possible. Because if you just say, well, it would be a good idea. A pebble could knock you off the road. A year like 2020 could just demolish you. Sure. But if you understand your why and you have that good solid vision and know where you are now, you stand a much better chance of not only recognizing the little steps you need to take continuously, but also the joy of what it's going to be like, because you've already felt it when you get there. So I walk people through a 10-step process, and I take as much of the woo-woo out of it as possible, because it drives me crazy. What, 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 what do you mean industry. by that? Or what, what's an example of, of woo-woo that may be surrounding vision board idea? In The Secret, which was my introduction to Law of Attraction, they had a great basic broad brush message. And then they put in a genie in a magic lamp and said, Mm. if you wish for it, the law of attraction will bring it to you. And I get that all the time. I get pushback from so many people, especially people in the corporate world. And I do work with some corporate teams. They'll say, yeah, uh, don't bring none of that wishful woo woo Mm -hmm. unicorns and rainbows. And I say, you're all set because I can't stand that stuff either. So I, I try to take all of that mystic, magical phraseology out of it and just make it a good blue collar meat and potatoes, take action from the gut. Let's push forward together approach. And it's working very well. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, yeah. And sometimes in my professional circles, people throw around an expression. It's attributed to, I don't know who, um, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I think, well, there's something to be said for having dreams, but people have dreams that they can fly. So I think we have to be a little careful. Like I'm not trying to yeah. be 
Mr. Negative, but yeah. you know, like a dream is maybe a good first step. But what I hear you saying, Steve, is um, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing a little mm-hmm. bit that that a vision board and thinking about the first steps helps provide not just the end state vision, but some fra- practical um, helps helps you, helps you break it down and figure out well how am I going to get there. Exactly. And the way I explain it is think of it like an old wooden roller coaster. And we have one here in Southern New Hampshire. It's it's actually sitting on is where I got this lesson. You get in at the bottom of the ride at the very beginning and you surround yourself with people who also want to be on that same journey. And then it starts to go click, 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 click. Now your goal is to get over the top of that first solo. So you have to take all these little steps to get there. You can't cheat. You can't start halfway up. You can't skip a bunch mm-hmm. of them. So many people out there say, oh, we have a life hack to get you to avoid all right. this hard work. No, no, no. We have got to stay to take every single step because when we do that last one that gets us to achieve it, that roller coaster goes over the top and the momentum, you couldn't stop that ride if you tried. Right. And, and so that's the way I try to explain it with people is don't just set it and forget it. We're not a roasted chicken on a you know, Saturday morning infomercial, right. right? Set it and forget it that we have to be part of the process every day and don't stare at the ground, stare ahead and use mm-hmm. your senses and see opportunities and make connections and learn new skills in, in collaborations and everything it takes to get there. You've got to be a part of the process. Yeah. Well, you, to think of that roller coaster analogy, the engineer in me says, well, it requires quite literally energy to get that car up that initial hill. Oh, most definitely. And, um, you know, there, there are so many cases where uh, an over, you know, something gets described as an overnight success, maybe to build on your analogy, because they see, well, that roller coaster's already got its momentum and it's going downhill. You didn't see the years and years of energy and effort to get up the hill. Exactly. Exactly. So many people see those smiling faces with the tears and faces of terror at the end of the ride and go, oh, that must be great. And they don't see all that work it took just to be able to enjoy the ride. Right. And, I mean, and that's think, I mean, that's life. Yeah. And, and thinking of the roller coaster, I mean, maybe there's anticipation. That's fun. But that click, click, click. I mean, it, that is the most boring part of the ride, I guess. It can be. It can be. It, and it does build anticipation. And, and sometimes people get scared the closer yeah. they get to the top because all of a sudden they're going to be at the part that they can't control. Mm. They said they wanted to be there. And then I've heard people in the cars behind me because I was in the front car and it went over and I heard somebody go, oh, my God, here it comes. <laughs> and then I heard them yeah. screaming for the next three minutes. Yeah. But sometimes we don't know what's on the other side of the hill. We just, we want bigger or we want better or more or faster or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so we, we set ourselves to that motion. It doesn't mean that we're not suddenly going to be afraid when we get to the top and, you know, your eyes get real big when you're staring for that moment that nothing's happened yet, but yet you can't go back. Yeah. And, and I call it excitement. I call it blowing out the cobwebs, which I do something at least once a year to scare me. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've gone skydiving. I've jumped yeah. in the ocean in the middle of February for a fundraiser in uh, three degree weather. And every wow. once in a while, I just go do this thing. That's going to rattle me around a little bit, inspire me, scare me and, and just blow out the cobwebs and just, mm-hmm. it gets me excited for life again. Kind of resets things in a, a more yeah. meaningful way than the afternoon five hour energy. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, believe me, uh, three degree weather jumping into the ocean in February makes you more awake than five hour energy does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so of all the different things that you, that you do, Steve, you know, the, the, the speaking and the, the vision board works and we'll, we'll come back and talk more about vision board in a minute. The, uh, the one thing and, and, and writing, um, the thing that I, I don't know anything about, and so I have to ask, is what does it mean to be a humor punch-up specialist? Like, who are you working with as as your clients, and and what what are the types of ways you help um, people who are trying to be funny or funnier? I guess. Yeah, it's mostly other speakers that I work with for that. Occasionally, it's for speaking clients of mine who have a a CEO or somebody who has to get up and speak often. Most often, it's other speakers in. So many people don't understand the mechanics of humor or comedy. Uh, I've actually literally watched a CEO get up before who was supposed to be bringing me up as a speaker and get up and tell an off-color joke mm. or, or say something very yeah. offensive and yeah. think they were being funny. They tell a street joke or something. Yeah. Not really appropriate for their audience. So one of the big yeah. things that I work on with other speakers is, first off, what is your, who is your audience? What is the level of humor you can get away with? And let me help you craft your stories in such a way that your face, your voice, and your body language all help to increase the impact and memorability of your message. So it's, it's using humor in a very appropriate, safe, and uh, impactful way and not just be up there telling jokes. So I've, I've got a number of speaking uh, fellow speaker clients um, who are part of that. And ever since I added that to my online profile, that is a question I get a lot and I always love answering it. Yeah. And so do you, let's say, uh, I can think of like, there, there are times there's this phrase I've heard, script doctor, where somebody will read a script and maybe they might even use the phrase, you know, let's punch it up. Do you watch, I imagine you watch tape video, I'm dating myself, you watch digital recordings of somebody speaking or telling jokes and, and sort of like, like reviewing game film, give feedback or say, well, here's, here's a way you might set up that punchline better. Here's a way you might maybe need to get to the punchline sooner. Exactly. If, if video is available, I'll, I'll ask for that. And uh, if they have just audio, that'll do as well. Although it's a little more difficult. Sometimes some people will just say, look, I haven't delivered this yet, but I need to make it funnier. That can be a challenge, but I'll still go through and I'll, I'll be walking around while I'm reading it. Okay. What's the physicality of this? So we can not only the visual, but the audio and then the physical movement mm -hmm. trying to just say, okay, as a bare bones, basic, let's start here. Here are my suggestions for that. So I I've done from video, from just audio and, and getting a script saying, this is brand new. I'm delivering it in yeah. a week. Can you make it funny? <laughs> And that, you know, sometimes no pressure a tall order, anything. maybe, right? They're, they're, they're asking, can you? I mean, is the answer ever no? The answer is I can do something. Sure. I can't make it perfect. Yeah. But if you are happy with what I create, use it, pay me for it. Yeah. And we'll move on afterward if you want to continue to grow it. But uh, thus far, knock on wood, zero refunds and yeah. numerous repeat clients. So I'm, yeah. I'm very happy with that part of my business. Yeah. So um, when you talk about the mistakes that people could make using humor, like, you know, the off-color joke seems like, my gosh, that like some of these things seem like obvious mistakes, but yet people get themselves in trouble. Are, are there some less obvious mistakes that people make of maybe not being offensive, but somehow just being ineffective? 
or awkward. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with that is when people just race through things and they don't let the audience be part of the living, breathing moment of something. Even in, something could be funny, but the audience may start to laugh and the speaker or the presenter just immediately starts talking and going into their next thing and not acknowledging that shift of energy and, and giving their audience the chance to be a part of a moment. And you wind up stepping on them. Mm. And then if the next thing you're supposed to, you're, you say is supposed to be funny, they missed the beginning of it because they were still laughing at the first one. So when this one ends, it's silence and it's awkward. And to an inexperienced speaker, that spells failure. And silence is way louder than applause. <laughs> and you have to be a speaker to understand that. Right. Silence right. is yeah. deafening. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the old Southwest Air commercial. Want to get away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. And believe me, I've had those moments. But there are ways to build up your arsenal of go-to lines and, and preparing in advance for those awkward moments. But the number one thing, do your best to respect your audience is a good starting point. If you're not clear on something, do not throw the Hail Mary and hope they find it funny. Yeah. I tend to play a lot more conservatively with something I'm not 100% sure of. Sure. Well, and that's one other thing um, I, I think it's interesting. Of You know, you watch, let's say, you know, the, the hour-long HBO stand-up special that has been on that network forever. And I mean, you know, I've, I saw this is going back maybe 25 years ago. There was a Jerry Seinfeld film, I think, just called Comedian. Yes. That showed him going back out on the road. And, you know, the little bit I've seen of um, documentaries or shows about this, of like the craft and the work and like the hour stand up show may seem like, wow, this stand up's just comedian. Uh, this comedian's just brilliant. It's an overnight success. But there's all the, the, the hours and time spent in clubs testing different jokes and bombing and putting that aside or bombing and making it better. And that, that hour-long stand-up is kind of the culmination of a lot of work, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it, it could take a year to craft a new, even a half hour of material for a serious comedian. And I remember hearing something about that. And it's been forever since I've seen it. Jerry Seinfeld will spend an entire day crafting a line, taking it from an eight word line to a six word line mm -hmm. to make it funnier. He'll spend all day on one line yeah. to do that. And it is a craft and it, it's an art form. And I did stand up for seven years, mm -hmm. which led to some of the success I've had as a speaker because I was able to transition the clean material and style mm -hmm. into speaking to become memorable and storytelling as well. But stand up comedy is tough. Yeah. yeah. Really tough. There's there's jokes and then you know I think there's some comedians where like as a speaker I you know I, I try to be a better storyteller and I think of like for example like John Mulaney he's not telling jokes he's a storyteller mm -hmm. if you're familiar with his work and the just boy, the the the, the it, you can see, you can tell it's not just talent but it's craft it's the combination he's putting in the work. Yeah, Clearly. And, and it is storytelling. I, people some still say, oh, Steve, you're, you used to be a comedian. Tell me a joke. I don't tell jokes. I didn't tell jokes when I was a comedian. I was a storyteller. Mm -hmm. and, and it was all crafted with, with a comeback and a callback from the beginning, perfectly timed. And in the physicality and the facial and the voice and everything has to work together. Now, the comedians that just do rapid fire, joke after joke, God love them. That's just not something I'm... Yeah. even interested in doing. 
Yeah, that's like I'm a, a long form storyteller. That's like a Stephen Wright or more yeah. more common, a more modern days Dimitri Martin or somebody where it is in a yep. way it, it's jokes or you know, yeah. yeah. Um, one other question about you know if we're trying to use humor as a, a speaker or in some sort of setting, I, I think you've touched on this a little bit. Um, you know what happens when you bomb? Like you you think something is going to elicit laughter and then you do get that deafening silence and the what what i think it gets referred to as flop sweat yes forms on your brow <laughs> mm-hmm. oh I think it's, you alluded it's very to sort of planning real. for that how, how do you get out of that very real situation here's how i've always looked at it I, i've got a couple of go-to things in my back pocket at all times if i'm speaking and i have the clicker with me for a slide presentation because i use a lot of visuals i don't put words on the screen i use a lot of visuals mm-hmm. If something lands flat, I'll generally look at the clicker, hit it on my hand a couple of times and say, oh my gosh, I muted the audience. And then I just start banging my thumb on it, like waving it around. They start laughing and I go, oh, thank God I hit the right button. Good to have you back. (laughs) And then if, if, God forbid, there's another moment, I'll just stare at them and say, I'm so sorry. That was way funnier in my head before it fell out. Just the laugh at that. And people say, well, what happens if it, if, if it happens a third time? I said, if it happens a third time, I'm not a very good speaker and I better go work on my craft because I don't have a third get out of jail free, you know, card. Oh, that would actually be a good third one. I should get a monopoly card that says get out of jail free. But if you've, if a third time, that means somehow you have not made a good connection with that audience. They don't love and trust you yet. They haven't warmed up to you yet. They haven't connected. Mm-hmm. Yet, and if it happens a third time, maybe you're not the best fit for this audience. And and there is such a thing as not being a good fit. You mentioned your engineering mind. Yeah. Early in my career, I got blinded by a really nice paycheck to speak in front of a dozen aeronautical engineers mm. without a handout, mm. opening with humor, getting in their space, and bombed horrifically. Uh, I described it one time. Somebody said, "Steve, it couldn't have been that bad." I said. Picture an old World War II movie, because now that you shoot a plane, it just blows up. Back then, you just put a few bullet holes in the fuselage. It drains a little oil, a little flame, a little smoke, and it trails smoke until the plane crashes. I got shot five minutes into a 90-minute speech and, and trailed smoke down. the rest of the way. Oh, no. Oh, it was, it was bad. Well, an audience really of 12, it sounds like, would be a challenge because there's not as much of that. Like I think watching a movie at home on the couch, that's funny. It's yourself or you and your, your spouse or whatever. It's one thing, but there's something to be said for being in a comedy club or a theater where there's other laughter and it's contagious maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right out of the gate, I had an introduction, written introduction that led to my opening line of the speech and the person in charge, the head engineer looked at it crumbled it, threw it over his shoulder. He goes, well, everybody, I Googled this guy. He seems okay. Hey, Steve, come on in. And I'm in the hallway going, no, 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 no. That did not just happen. So it was an awkward start as it was. And again, this is very early in my career. I get it out of the way early. But it was a brutal setback for about three weeks. I canceled everything I had. And I just crawled into my basement recording studio and sulked. For about three weeks. And then, you know, somebody called up and sent me a testimonial for another speech that had happened that went really well and got right back on the horse and went back out. And now that bad one, it's just a punchline about knowing your audience, being connected and being relevant. 
to people and understanding styles. Very important because now I will say no to an event like that because I'm doing them a disservice by me saying I can communicate with them because mm-hmm. it's not my audience. We don't speak the same language. Yeah. God love them. If it wasn't for engineers, if I was in charge of technology, we'd still be living in caves running from our food. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not their audience. And yeah. it became a lesson. And yeah, it was a mistake. So and it sounds one. like there's a lesson around emphasizing it's very important that you read this. That did that become part of your game plan? Very. Yeah. Very. I, I started to ask a lot more questions and to educate myself more to make sure that I was the right fit for whomever I might be working with and to not be afraid to say no and say, here's the reason why I'm not a good fit. Yeah. You and I may have a great conversation, but your audience, from what you're telling me, is more of this style, brain, uh, intellect, right. level of, of education and, and industry. That I just can't speak to that, but I can yeah. connect you with somebody who can so at least yeah. I'll still provide a value for that person. So I'm not going to get into the details from uh, a time standpoint, and I'm just not going to. But um, maybe someday I, I, t- I turned down a speaking gig, which, you know, these days, to be honest, they have not been exactly rolling in the way they were before the pandemic. Mm. It didn't seem like a fit on a couple of different levels. And a friend of mine who I talked to and, a, you know, a bit of an advisor, we do similar work. And, and he was kind of reinforcing. He's like, All right, you know, it's it." It's not a fit. You got to say it's not a fit. I wasn't going to do it just for the sake of having a story someday to tell on the podcast. Of it was a mistake <laughs> right. to accept that. It was a mistake <laughs> to accept that gig. Um, yeah, that won't be a future episode. But, but yeah, sometimes it's just it, Spidey Sense says, you know what, this is not a fit. Maybe another speaker, or maybe no speaker at all, would be better for your meeting. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and those happen. And, and yeah. you know what, you're actually. They're going to appreciate you more for your honesty in, in, in the way that you are setting them up more for success than something that you're just not going to feel right. From the moment you step on stage and grab that microphone, yeah. it's going to be in the back of your head. I yeah. shouldn't be here. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, if anything, I made clear to them, it's not about the paycheck at all costs. Uh, I'm thinking about what I think your needs are and, um, yeah, at least maybe they'll, uh, yeah, I think they'll respect that. So, yeah, and um, there's an integrity in that, which is, which is really a very important thing for what you and I do. Sure. Sure. So, uh, if I had a vision board, I think there would be something on there about integrity and, uh, yeah, yeah integrity values. So, mm-hmm. um, so on that note, before we wrap up, and again, our guest has been, uh, Steve Gamlin, um, when we talk about vision boarding and you have a free masterclass, a vision board learning program, I'll put a link in the show notes, but can you tell us a little bit uh, about that? Who might be interested in that and, and why? Sure. A lot of people have never even heard of vision boards or visualization or how to see what their goals look like. They're used to, okay, here's my three resolutions and there we go. So to understand in, uh, it's, it's a free masterclass is about 32 minutes long. And it's me walking people through what visualization is really all about and what it can help you to achieve and just things and guidelines of what to be thinking about, how to proceed forward to understand it better. So that if you are going to set some goals that you are not as affected by the winds of change as so many people have been with 2020 and all these things that are going on right now to be resilient, to be really dug in with your roots, to understand uh, what you want to create. So that's all in there. It was a blast to create it. 
And most of it came out of conversations I've had with my clients over the years, my vision board clients. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for offering that. And uh, again, link will be in the show notes or memorable domain name. Here's a good thing. Motivationalfirewood.com slash vision. I believe that's correct. Not a mistake. Yes. Okay. Well, Steve, I thank you. So. Good. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. Again, you can also go stevegamlin.com uh, to learn more about uh, his work and, and everything that, that he's doing now. So Steve, thank you for telling, you know, the story of, um, you know, that, that career mistake, but more importantly, what you learned from it and kind of getting out from that pit into um, making a positive uh, you know, out, of, out of what came out of that situation. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Really uh, enjoyed what you had to uh, share with us today. Thank you so much. Been a long haul, but Every day when I wake up, I look back and I say, yeah, it was a mistake, but so worth it. Well, thanks again to Steve for being a great guest today. Again, you can find show notes in your app or go to markraven.com slash mistake 144. If you like the episode, if you like the series, please share it with a friend or a colleague, share it on social media. Please follow, rate, and review. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.